All right. Well, in typical Epiphany style, you get about two seconds to sit down when you join the church, and then you got to serve. So, Carlos, come on up and <laughs> read for us tonight's word from John chapter 20. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. She saw that the stone had been removed from the tomb, so she went running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said to them, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. At that, Peter and the other disciple went out, heading for the tomb. The two were running together, but the other, the other disciple outran Peter and got to the tomb first. Stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then following him, Simon Peter also came. He entered the tomb and saw the linen clothes lying there. The wrapping that had been on his head was not lying with the linen clothes, but was folded up in a separate place by itself. The other disciple who had reached the tomb first, then also went in, saw and believed. For they did not yet understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples returned to the place where they were staying. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where Jesus' body had been lying, one at the head and the other at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you crying? Because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary, turning around, she said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and she told them what he had said to her. When it was evening on the first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came, stood among them, and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hands and his side. So the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As, I, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Amen. It's the word of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Father God, I pray again that you would just give us a gift of encouragement. Have mercy on us sinners. A sinner preaching, a sinner's all hearing, but you are in the business of having mercy and giving us things we don't deserve. And so, Lord, we thank you, God, and we just lay on that and we just lean on that, that you are good, even when we're not, Lord. And we just pray for you to pour out your grace on us tonight, even in these next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Amen. So we've been in a series in the book of John, and we are coming to the end. We're almost done. And our brother Carlos read these words on the first day of the week, right? Weird time to preach the resurrection, right? Typically on Easter, but we've been preaching through this gospel, and this is where we are right now. And I just want to stop for a moment and just say, isn't this awesome? Isn't Mary Magdalene awesome? <laughs> like, she is a fascinating person in the New Testament. She's named after the city of Magdala. And there's this unnamed person in the um, different gospel accounts where this woman, she washes Jesus' feet with her tears and her hair. And many have associated Mary Magdalene with this unnamed woman. Is it the one? We don't know. But we do know that the city of Magdala, right, was known as a place of prostitution. Right? And so what the New Testament is doing here, now put it together, in Luke chapter 8, Mary Magdalene, definitely Mary Magdalene, it says it's her, it says it's her, she has seven demons casted out of her. Now put this together. We have a woman who is from a town known for prostitution, who had demons cast out of her. And it's this woman, it's this woman who John just shows a bunch of love on because we know there were other women. There was a group of women, including the mother of Jesus, right? We know that there was a group of women that were the first ones at the grave site. But the way John records it and remembers it and highlights, Mary is the first one. Mary Magdalene is the first one at the tomb. So this woman from this prostitute town, this is like a woman on Broadway, right? Being the, that, that had demons that was cast out of her, and she wandered around with Jesus, and she was there first. This is not how you would make up a story, by the way. This is not how you'd make up the New Testament if you wanted to just sort of make things up and just like try to convince people that this is true. <laughs> Especially in the first century, you got to understand that, that, that a woman's witness did not hold weight in court. And if you were going to write a story and, and try to convince people that this is true, you would pick Mary of Magdala last to be the first witness of the resurrection. But Mary is there. And that's kind of a theme throughout the Gospels. Mary of Magdalene is just there. <laughs> She's there at Jesus' mock trial. She's there when Jesus is being beaten. She's there at his crucifixion. And she's one of the last ones there, right? She's one of the last ones there. It's highlighted that she's one of the last ones there. And she's the first one there that morning. And then we see in verse 17 that was just read for us, she's going to be the one who goes and gathers the disciples. <laughs> she's the one that is going to tell the disciples, yo, Jesus has some last instructions to give you. 
That must have been a wild report. Yeah, Jesus died. We all saw that. No, no, no. <laughs> you got to meet. <laughs> you got to meet with Jesus. He's going to give you some final words. <laughs> He's risen from the dead. And then moving from Mary, right, to Peter. Peter runs. He gets this news. He runs. And then John does this throughout the whole Gospels. He leaves himself unnamed. <laughs> this is, the, you know, every scholar, right? You know I mean? This has been the tradition and all, every, all signs point. There's another time when there's an unnamed young man who, like, runs out of the room naked in fear, like, over and over again. There's a young man, right, at, in John 13 who leans on Jesus' side, who is close with Jesus. He's described as the disciple whom Jesus loved, the same disciple whom Jesus loved that we heard about last week, right, who was told, Yo, this, is, this is your mother. <laughs> this is your mother. Take care of my mother while Jesus is breathing his last. And so John and Peter run, except Peter gets a head start. I mean, that's a hilarious image, right? <laughs> Somebody is running, <laughs> and then someone starts running later, and then they overtake you. <laughs> but then John gets to the tomb, and he sees the linen. He sees it's open, but he doesn't see anybody in there. He doesn't see the Lord in there. And, and John... <laughs> His personality pops out, his fear and reverence and awe, and he's sitting there. He's not entering in that tomb. Peter finally catches up, and we got we to gotta, we gotta just put some respect on John's name because Peter was the guy that we'll learn in a couple weeks, right? He pulls out the, like, several hundred fish from <laughs> the beach, you know what I mean? Like something that several men were needed. Peter is a competent guy. He's, he's not that old dude smoking menthols that can barely run down the block. Peter was a fisherman. He had boats. He had houses. He was, you know what I'm saying? And he, he was an active guy. And Peter gets in there, and the other part of Peter's personality is that he just busts in. <laughs> he busts into that tomb. He does not stand back like, Oh, this is really scary. <laughs> is there a ghost in there? What is going on? My mind can't comprehend this. Peter just does first. Peter just does first. Just like he cursed out the guys that tried to you know, arrest Jesus. Just like he took out his sword and cut one of the guard's ears off. Just as he would speak before he think all the time. Jesus said, I got to go to the cross. And Peter said, nah. <laughs> nah, man. You can't do that. You can't do that. And, 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 and Peter said, we're going to be there till the very end. We'll never deny you. And then what does Peter do? He denies the Lord three times. Over and over again. Peter just acts. And God can work with that. Isn't it beautiful that God can work with a Peter and God can work with a John and God can work with a Mary, amen? God works with us all in our different personalities and our different strengths and weaknesses. And he can work with you. He is working through you and in you. 
in a powerful way. And he's not waiting for you to be someone totally different than you are. He is working through you now. But you have to surrender to him. And so Peter pushes right in. And it says, one by one, Mary, Peter, John, they saw and they believed. John, the same John who writes this gospel, the same unnamed disciple who outran Peter, he writes this letter in 1 John. And it says, in the very first verse, it says, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed, and what we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. He's saying it over and over again. He's so emphatic. Our hands have touched. Our eyes have seen. This is the man who leaned on Jesus as they had that final meal. Right? This is the man who's seen when all the other, all of his brothers left. And only the women were left except for him. And he saw the Lord crucified. And he was the first one, the first of the men, <laughs> to look into that tomb and see that Jesus wasn't there. And he says, we're writing these things. We're preaching these things. We're doing all this stuff so that your joy would be complete. He's saying, listen, we've seen this stuff, and we want you to see it with us. We, we want you to believe this. And, 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 and we, are, we know, and I've reminded you before, right? Every other one of his brothers, think about this for a second, every one of his brothers died a violent death for this message. And yet John died in isolation, in exile, on the island of Patmos. Many churches will light different candles this time of year. And in our home, we have an Advent wreath, and we light the candles, right? And, and there's a candle you light each week leading up to Christmas, and there's the hope candle, and there's the peace candle, and there's the joy candle, and there's the love candle. <laughs> and uh, I wish I could preach a little bit on the connection in the Word of God between joy and love. Do you understand that there is a deep connection? Joy and love are married together. They are hard to separate. Anyone who remembers their first crush knows what I'm talking about. And scientifically, right, we know now it's true. You are actually, your brain 
is different. You're 14 and you fall in love. You have your first crush and your dopamine is filling your head and you are literally love drunk. <laughs> you literally cannot think straight. There is a joy <laughs> that comes from that love. And what happens is, is that if anybody gets in between that love, right, you've got no perspective at all. You're not able to see clearly. It feels like somebody's taking you up like, you know, WWE style and body slamming you on the floor when somebody tries to get in between you and that feeling of joy that you never felt before. And then you hear, like, you know, kids saying stuff like, you ruined my life. <laughs> my life is over. And for them, it feels that way, right? Because when you open your heart to love, there is a powerful joy that comes alongside of that. Somebody once told me that this church is just a bunch of people. It's just full of a bunch of broken people who are madly in love with Jesus. <laughs> I'm not mad at that. Do you hear me? I'm not mad at that. A bunch of broken people who are madly in love with Jesus. Can we own that? John just wants you to believe. Why does he want you to believe? So that you could share the joy. He wants you to love the Lord like he loves the Lord. He wants you to see him die, see him rise, see him ascend. Know that he's coming back. Why? Because he wants to share the joy that he has with the world. We sing joy to the world. Why? Because the Savior has come. That's what we celebrate on Christmas, that hope broke into a hopeless world, that light broke into a dark and sad and just every way challenging life. And this is what I want you to hear tonight, that every other love in your life will fail you if you try to live for it like that 14-year-old. See, because, because, come on, it's not just the domain of 14-year-olds to, like, fall in love in the wrong way and lose all perspective. We can do that at any age, and we can do that for lots of different things, not just for men or women. <laughs> Every other love that you try to base your life on, then the love for Jesus will fail you. I'm not saying that there's not a lot of beauty to be enjoyed in loving your kids. <laughs> there's lots of joy in loving a spouse. There's lots of joy in loving your family, your cousins, your parents, whoever else that God has put in your life. But what I'm trying to say is that when you try to base your life and all of your happiness in one person or any group of people, you will be heartbroken. And you will place a burden on that person that even on their best day they can't fulfill. When you're like, you're my world, you're my reason for living. 
Well, that is a burden on someone that they could never fulfill. They're not the Lord. They're not your Messiah. Now, some of you get into relationships. You're like, damn, that's, that sounds really preachy. Well, you're in church, right? <laughs> so I'm going to do. I'm going to preach. <laughs> so some of you get into relationships, right? And they really, they're unholy unions. They're just not blessed of God. And it can be toxic. There can be abuse. Maybe one isn't abusing the other, but together you abuse things together. You party. You just like descend together into sin, right? And it's an unholy union. And to follow Jesus, you got to split. You got to break up. But even when these relationships are healthy and good, or redeemable. <laughs> no romantic relationship can ever save your soul. Do you hear what I'm saying? Your spouse will never give you enough joy. Your relationship with your kids will never give you enough joy. That's way too much to put on your kids, right? You could be like, yeah, I've been burned by men. I've been burned by women. But this kid, this is my world, and I'm going to live for them, and I'm going to do everything to make them happy. And I need you to hear this. You're putting way too much on them. And then you're wondering why they're pushing back on that. Because they can't bear the weight of that. You need to have some peace and some joy and some hope in your own heart that you're not pulling from your kids so you have something to offer them. You need to be happy in yourself. You cannot be looking to your kids for all the joy of your life. And then when they fail, you fall apart. And you're like judging them for not measuring up. And you're thinking, man, I tried to do everything for you. I, everything I could possibly do for you, I did. And they're thinking, I didn't ask you to do everything for me or to put all of your hope and joy in me. But to just, just to love me. <laughs> just to have something to offer, not just have something to take. God gives us this joy so that we can love the people in our lives. We have a cup that's full, and we can fill other people up. We're not constantly going around starving for affirmation, starving for people's attention, starving to be touched, starving for sex. There's, there's a spot where we can be partners and we can enjoy those things, but it's not like we're going to it, like, I need this or I'll die. <laughs> Your spouse will never give you enough joy. Your kids will never give you enough joy. Your job will never give you enough joy. And I don't care how good it is. The money you can make will never give you enough joy. And you might be someone that's like, man, I didn't have money. Now I'm starting to get money. And you start to feel a little bit of that love sickness for it. And you're like, man, this is cool. And I'm here to tell you that it will not satisfy your soul. Don't live for it. But whatever causes you to run, like Peter and John, whatever causes you to rearrange your life, to get whole, healthy, and holy, 
I'm asking us to let that be the resurrected Lord. In Ephesians chapter 1, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the wealth of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power. Somebody say power. Towards us who believe according to the mighty working of his great strength. He ex exercised this power in Christ by raising him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the right hand in the heavens, far above every ruler and authority, power and dominion, and every title that is given, not only in this age, but in the one to come. What is this saying? Paul is praying for all the churches, right? He's praying for Ephesians, but then, like, we're reading it now, 2,000 years later, and they would circle these letters around the other churches. So Paul is praying for all of us, and he's praying that our eyes of our heart may be enlightened, that we would be able to see how great God's power is for us. And what he's saying is, is that the same power that rose Jesus from the dead in John chapter 20 is working in you. The resurrection power that resurrected the Lord is resurrecting us from our sin, from our struggles, from our depression, from the death that's working itself out in our lives. And in the resurrection of Jesus changes everything. Maybe a virgin-born holy Jesus would be somebody worth listening to. <laughs> but this Jesus isn't somebody just worth your ears but worth your life. He isn't just giving good advice, but he is a king that demands everything. And this is what I want you to hear. God's grace is big enough for every past. There's no accident that Jesus chose this woman from Broadway. And the first time we meet her, she's getting demons cast out of her to be the first one to see him rise from the dead. He chose her to teach us something. He wants you to know that there is grace for your past. He wants you to know that whatever you've done, whatever you've been into, whatever you said, whatever you thought, and even all the things that happened to you that weren't your fault, but can make you feel worthless, I need you to know tonight that Jesus chose Mary of Magdala because he wanted to teach us that he could choose each and every one of us to glorify him. And there's grace enough for every kind of past. But here's the other thing. He calls each of us to live for him completely, without reservation. Right? Each of us, the word to us is go and sin no more. That's the word for us. It's like something is disconnected when we don't hear that. Like, we got to rearrange our lives to live for him. When he saves us, we should talk different, look different. Every single thing in our life should be different. 
Everything we think about is different because we love God. There's a joy in our lives. We're not just like going to continue on in the same way as we were. I, I recently saw a good friend, um, and, he's, and, he, and he promised me, you know, he's like, oh, you guys are doing the Christmas Eve thing. I will be there. And, um, man, I just wanted him to know so badly in my heart, God wants so much more than for you to show up on Christmas Eve once a year. God wants so much more than for you to just hobble along and try. He is the Lord. Fall down on your knees. And then when you mess up, know his grace is great for all our past and current sins. And fall down again and not stop trying to follow the Lord. Don't give up. Don't let hope be strangled out by your failures. Continue to get up because the same power that resurrected the Lord Jesus is working in you and I. When you give up everything, it's worth it. He didn't hang on that cross and die and overcome hell and rise from the dead for us to be a little religious, for us to be trying, for us to be doing our best. He did this so that we would surrender every single thing about ourselves. God is worth all of your free time, all of your money, <laughs> right? All of whatever you think. Oh, you're going overboard. I need you to know. And I have sought to live my life like that's the reality. And I'm encouraging you. Not as someone has done this perfectly, but I'm encouraging you. Let's follow the Lord together. All right? Let's keep repenting of our sins. Where we fall and fail, let's keep getting back on that horse. Let's keep doing what we need to do. Keep praying. Keep showing up. Keep serving. Keep texting your friends. Keep calling your friends. Keep visiting. Keep doing the things that God has called us to do. Amen? You know, let's live like the resurrected power that resurrected the Lord Jesus is at work in us. Let's live like poverty can't stop us, like sickness can't stop us, like persecution can't stop us. So one of the things we're doing this time of year, right, we're writing letters to Zhang Weishi. And that's why there's some letters up here. There's two reasons there's, there's Christmas cards up here. We want you to write cards to this brother who was kidnapped and imprisoned in North Korea since November 2014. Now I think he's got a family. He's got no freedom. He's in one of the most dark and evil nations on earth. What gives us the right when we are going through our lives and struggling along to just say, hey, praying for you to have hope? I'll tell you what does. We both have the same resurrected power working in our souls. The resurrection power working in Zhang's life 
to be faithful in the face of death and imprisonment is the same resurrected power that can work in your life to say no to sin and yes to him. And so I'm asking us all to follow the resurrected king. Amen? The one who accepts us, accepts our past, forgives us, transforms us, but let's serve him with our all. Let's pray. God, I pray, Father, that you would comfort us. Lord, that, that's a heavy word, but I pray, Father, that there would be those who came, they need comfort. Would you give them your comfort in an unexplainable way, supernatural comfort and presence. But I pray also that we would hear a word of challenge, and Lord, we'd rearrange our lives for you. God, we would live for you. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Before the worship team comes up, I just, or before they start, I um, want to just encourage you. Um, we had a sister reach out, and she's watching online. Her name is Lauren. And I, I, she saw people getting baptized last week. She, she called and showed up and got a Bible. We prayed for her. She had to go take care of her sick uncle. Um, I bring this up because she's watching now. and We just say shout out to you. But also, we have people watching in town. And I just want to encourage you, reach out and call. Don't be silent. Don't sit on the computer or on your phone in silence watching week after week. Make that step of faith. Send a message. Call Put something in the comments. We want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. We're here for you. And maybe it's time you've been investigating and you're checking if the water's warm, if the water's cold. And I just want to encourage you, like, reach out. Reach out. We wanna, we just, we're just here for you, not to judge you. We're going to challenge you, but we're also going to love you up. <laughs> Amen? Amen.